This morning, uh, I was tasked with um, making coffee. If you, on your way in, you noticed there wasn't any. I'll take all the blame for that, uh, and let me, let me talk about that for a little bit. Um, and it's shocking uh, when you don't have coffee, because on Sundays, I'm like, oh, I don't have to make it at home. I'll just get it at church. And the processing power that comes from caffeine in, in my brain, I'm, I'm noticing the lack thereof this morning. But uh, here's what happened, okay? So water is getting heated up. You put the big uh, carafe dispenser underneath it so it can brew right into it. And uh, I had left the, the little nozzle that, uh, that makes the coffee come out when there's coffee in there. It needs to be up when it's brewing. Otherwise, the floor, the counter, the cabinets all get a blessing of coffee all over them. Uh, And I share that with you for multiple reasons. I think some of you are under the impression that I'm perfect. And I'm kidding, no one's under that impression. Uh, But I wanted to make, I wanted to be abundantly clear that I'm not. But then secondly... I think there's something there that if you'll allow me to go there for a little bit, I think there's something there about our walk with Jesus and the Holy Spirit working through us. Um, Because, wow, yes, it made a mess this morning that uh, Amanda was so gracious to clean up and not be unkind to me even. Um, While it made a mess, there's something to be said about the coffee in the carafe uh, staying in the carafe. Um, as I was thinking about it, as we were singing even, uh, I thought about our lives, and we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit working in us, and the Holy Spirit being in us, and how like if we're going to be the people that Jesus asked us to be, we are just 100, 100% totally dependent on the Spirit working in us and working through us. Uh, and I think the biggest lack for Jesus followers today is allowing the Holy Spirit to, to come out of you. Like, we, we'll get the coffee in the craft, and, and then we just hold it in there forever, and then it's not serving its purpose like it's supposed to. And as Jesus followers, we have this command, we're going to dig into it a little bit today, that, like, there's supposed to be an expression out of our lives that the world is supposed to be able to see. Uh, It can look as simple as uh, Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Like, you know the Spirit is living and active and working in your life when you see these things coming from your life. And I think the biggest need for Jesus followers today is an expression of the Holy Spirit working out in and through our lives. And, and I know some of us might come from backgrounds that, uh, that, that we begin raising our red flags immediately. Because uh, in some backgrounds, not all, but in some backgrounds, the Holy Spirit has been kind of cuckooized. And it's been like, this, this wild expression that's uncontainable, which there's probably something to that. You can't contain God. But if we can begin to strip back the layers of what it looks like to allow God in us for the world, I think we might, we might be able to be on to uh, what Jesus is asking of us uh, here in 2023 as his followers. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 today. 
and uh, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to do a little bit of explaining. Um, we'll dive in together, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together here at the end. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, this is coming uh, off the heels of last week where uh, Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and God took him to be, from being scared and timid to filled with boldness to be able to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom to a world. And then we see, uh, we see God transform through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see him transform people who are not following him. We saw him transform the church and what their expression of living, uh, living out their faith looked like. Uh, and so this is the, the scene that is set as we dive in today. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth, unable to walk or have use of his legs, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter, in a bold move of dignity looks him straight in the eyes, just as John did. And Peter says, hey, look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them, probably money. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up in Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with him into the temple courts, not just walking, but jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And as I was praying this week, I think for us to fully understand uh, the, the weight and significance, again, it, it would be easy to, to leave the significance as there was a person who uh, could not walk, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he could then walk. That's significant enough in itself. Uh, but as I was praying over it this week and thinking about um, uh, what the Lord might have for us, one of the things that came to mind um, was, and I think would be helpful for us to, to engage with today's passage, is everyone's favorite Old Testament book, which is the book of Leviticus. Uh, Old Testament law. We're going to get into it this morning. Uh, and we're not going to go uh, real deep into it, but I think, we're, I think understanding it at a high level will be helpful for us. Basically, Old Testament law, we can look at and go, well, that's kind of weird that God cared about those particular things. That's weird that God would care about what they ate or, or the clothes they wore or stuff like that. The Old Testament law, the law given to the people of Israel from God at a very high level is for this and this alone. God had called a people in the midst of a world that was broken to represent him. That when other nations looked at the nation of Israel, they would be able to see God. The laws were given as an identifier to say we are whole cloth, we are different than those around us. We are set apart. Another word uh, that we like to use that has some negative connotations, but we are holy. Not that we're better, we are set apart as God's representatives 
here on the earth. And there's a lot of talk in the laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness. And uh, if you ever, I think it's the Leviticus uh, Bible Project uh, video, but if you ever, I, I think it's that one. Uh, it does a really good job of kind of mapping this out. So if you ever on your free time want to dive into that, I would encourage you to do it. But one of the things it talks about is that we love to put, uh, when we hear clean and unclean, we love to put moral stamps on that. Like, we are clean, therefore we are moral or good or right. Or someone is unclean, therefore they're immoral or wrong or, or like that. Um, and, and I don't think that's what God's saying in the Old Testament law. I think rather the invitation is a little bit more cleanliness is the holiness and the set-apartness. Um, because a lot of the laws, as you think about it, were wrapped up in stuff that was just normal parts of life. And I don't think it would be uh, in God's nature to say, well, you're going to engage with something that's a normal part of life, and you're going to be wrong or sinful because of it. Uh, for example, touching a dead body. Death, because, uh, because of the fall, death is a natural part of life. And so someone inside of their community would have had to engage somehow with, uh, with uh, uh, someone that had passed away. And, and it's not saying like, uh, oh, they're, they're wrong when they have to do this. It's just saying, no, God values life. And, and we are setting ourselves apart as God's people, God's representatives here on the earth. And so there's just, uh, there's a way to get back from that. There's some ceremonial cleansing. There's some time periods you have to wait. There's a way to get back from it. But God's trying to differentiate between the two. And so what we see in the Old Testament law is what I heard described one time as unhealth infecting health. Unhealth infecting health health. Meaning, you guys are all operating as normal, healthy, wholesome, wonderful people, and I've got some weird stuff going on with my skin, okay? It's bubbly, it's, it's pussy, it's mucusy, it's disgusting. Uh, one of the laws that was given to them. And, and I come down to Jim, and I, bless you, brother, and Jim immediately becomes unclean. Not bad. He's great. Not bad, but unclean because unhealth infects health. And then I, I go over and I say, I'm so glad you guys are back. We missed you so much. And guess what? There's uh, health and then, and then unhealth, the uncleanliness, infects it. And you begin to make your way all over and get it on Ray. Just make sure he gets some. And unhealth infects health. Not, not, not that you guys are sinful now, but unhealth infects health. And then Jesus does something really, really incredible with his ministry on earth. I think we've talked about this before. But what Jesus chooses to do is flip that whole thing on his head. Because to be a good, upstanding uh, God follower... What would happen is, well, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid those uh, situations so that it's no longer, so I, I'm not unclean. Because unclean means I don't get to engage in worship practices. I don't get to engage in this stuff. I have to go through the ceremonial cleansing before I can re-engage with God. And what Jesus says is, God is here now. 
And so what we see Jesus doing is Jesus going to the people who would have been uh, considered unclean. And what does he do? He touches them. Uh, some examples that come to mind is someone who is plagued with leprosy. Who would have, in the camp of Israel, had to be outside the camp because uh, they didn't want them infecting the rest of the camp. He, and, and he reaches out and, and he touches them. But he doesn't just touch them to touch them. What happens when he touches them? He touches them and they're healed. Another example is there's a woman who had, who had uh, suffered from the issue of blood for 12 years. And um, she, Jesus is walking through and the crowds are uh, surrounding him. And she reaches out and she touches the, the edge of his, his garment. He immediately notices and figures out something's going on. And he's like, who did that? And she's like, it was me. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean because the uncleanliness touched her, what did Jesus do? He looks at her and says, woman, you are healed. He takes the, the, the he flips the script, and no longer it's, uh, it's uncleanness infecting cleanness or unhealth infecting health. What we see Jesus model for us is now health infects unhealth. Now, now Jesus commands his uh, followers to go and do the same. And that's where we find ourselves today is with this command. That, that health, that once we've been made new by uh, the blood of Jesus and, and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus... We, we are then uh, washed white as snow. Our sins are taken away. And we have an opportunity to go into a world that is unhealthy and broken and sinful. And we have an opportunity to carve out pockets of holiness. To carve out situations and circumstances that represent what God's kingdom is all about. And this is what Peter and John exemplify for us here. They're walking, going about their everyday business, uh, and uh, they're on their way to pray at the temple. Um, and this guy that was there every single day reaches out to him and he's like, Do you have anything for me? And Peter and John, in the midst of their everyday, ordinary, normal routines, rhythms, and lives, uh, say, I'm not going to ignore you. I'm not going to view you as less than me. But in fact, I'm going to give you the only thing that I have that's worth anything. I'm going to give you Jesus. And I'm going to allow you to take that Jesus. And guess what? That Jesus is going to radically transform your life. Like you are completely dependent on other people. You're here. I imagine if someone is unable to use uh, their legs and they don't have good family systems around them, uh, think about how dirty they probably would have been. It just would have been a low station in society. But Peter and John look at him and he says, I don't, I'm not viewing you as that. God's kingdom is bigger than that. And we're going to take the work that Jesus has done in us and we're going to give it away to you. It strikes me coming off of Acts chapter 2, the end of it, um, when it talks about all of the things that these communities were doing. 
uh, these faith communities. They were devoting themselves to teaching. They were breaking bread together. They were praying together. They were spending significant amount of time, uh, significant amounts of time together. And uh, and off of that, it would be so encouraging. It would be so easy for us to reach for that and say, "We're just we're an Acts two church." We're in Acts 2 church. We, we have carved out a pocket of holiness here. We have carved out a pocket of holiness in our small group. We have carved out a pocket of holiness with our friend group. And it would be easy for us to just live in that forever. And say, this is like really comfortable and this is really easy and this is really good. But I think Jesus is asking so much more for that. Not for us to insulate ourselves from the world around us but for us to go have a regular uh, and calculated and intentional contact with the world around us. Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ, here to establish his kingdom, here to, to say this is who God is, this is what God is about. And we have the opportunity to, to do that. To go into our families, to go into uh, our friend groups, to go into our schools, to go into our places of employment. As dark and sinful and hurting and broken as they may be. We talked about this last week, but the, it can seem like an overwhelming task. Of like, I can't, I can't do that. Jordan, do you understand the mess that the people around me are in? Yes, because they're the same people that are around me. And we could raise our hand all day long and say, I cannot do this. I don't have the power in me. I don't, have, I don't have the stamina. I don't have the energy. I don't have whatever you're asking me to do. I don't have what it takes to do it. And Peter and John point to this. Verse 12, Peter, uh, they see the reaction of the crowd. They're amazed. And Peter says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? It's not, it's not us. It's prideful for us to think that it's us. It's not us. It's not us that we have. We're not so good and wonderful that we're giving ourselves away to the world like we have something to offer. But at the same time, we do have something to offer. We talked about it last week that the same power that raised a dead man back to life, that raised Jesus from the dead, is alive and active and working inside of us. And so our command is to then go carve out these pockets of God's kingdom, to carve out these pockets of holiness, to carve out these pockets that, that health is now infecting unhealth. But it's not us that has to do it. So if it seems like an overwhelming task to you, I am here with good news. It's not on you. All it takes is a yielded life to God to say, God, just do, do whatever. 
Here's a blank check. You fill out the rest. You want me to move somewhere? I'll move somewhere. You want me to change jobs? I'll change jobs. You want me to, to take in another kid? I'll take in another kid. You want me to reach out to that coworker? I'll reach out to that coworker. You want me to have that hard conversation? I'll have that hard conversation. It is, there's zero complications to it. You just bring uh, everything, nothing you have to the table. Just say, I've got nothing to offer. And God says, great, that's all I need is nothing. And what happens is God uses that yielded life to transform both you and the world around you. And what happens is, again, these pockets get carved out of holiness. And guess what happens? It's not, it doesn't stay these little pockets. Because when I go to my friend who's far from God, and I uh, introduce the good news of God's kingdom to them, and they, they, their life becomes transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is not then uh, up to me to go to their friend and their friend to go to their friend uh, to, to tr- uh, introduce them to the transforming power of the gospel. But instead, they're transformed and they get to say, okay, who's in my circle of influence and, and who can I go share this good news with? We put so much pressure on ourselves. It's not on us. It's on God. We have an invitation to be faithful to the call of God on our lives. To, say, to, to take God's good news that sins are forgiven. All the stuff that, uh, that Jesus talked about when he opened up the scroll. And he's like, I'm here to proclaim good news to the captives. To set the prisoners free. To do all of the stuff where the world is in bondage. And Jesus came to offer freedom and hope and new life to him. He then looks at his disciples and he looks at us and he says, Now you go and do the same. Go and offer the hope. Go and offer the good news. Go and offer the, the establishment of my kingdom here on the earth. Let me ask you this. I'm guilty of it too. When you look out at the world around you, is the first thing out of your mouth complaints about the darkness or prayers to allow you uh, to engage in that darkness? We can't sit around defeated, moping, complaining. God has given us everything we need for life, for godliness, for establishing his kingdom. And we have it all through the work of Jesus on the cross. I think I'm going to turn a corner here. Um, Jeff and Sam are going to come back up and... and lead us in a couple more songs. But as we do that, we're going to prepare to remember the sacrifice of Jesus uh, through communion. And uh, they're going to lead a song. And during that song, um, I want us to spend some time in reflection, to spend some time uh, going, Jesus, who are you um, to me? Who how are you working right now? Like, what is the invitation that you're sensing? I want this to be a time of, of contemplation and of listening.
Uh, and at some point during the song, the elements will be down here. Um, come and grab your cup at your convenience whenever you're ready. Hold on to it. We'll, we'll take it together at the end of this next song. Um, but there's, a, there's an invitation in the air this morning. There's an invitation of, of, like, Jesus did something pretty incredible and then offers us something really incredible. And that offering is the Holy Spirit. And it's all possible because of the work of Jesus on the cross that we're remembering this morning. And so if, you, if you're a here and you're like, I, I don't know what to, this is all like stirring something up inside of me and I, I don't know what to do with it. I think, they get, I think Peter gives us a, a really good pathway for what we should do. He says in verse 19, he says, Repent, then turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so if that's where you sit today and you're like, I don't know what to do with all of this. I can't make sense of any of this. Uh, here's all you need to do. Peter makes it really clear. You just repent. And it might be a repentance uh, for... Uh, I've never yielded wholly my life to God. To say, God, you are the creator of the universe, and I am trusting you with my life. That you know better than me, that you are, you are wiser than me, that you're more caring and loving than me. Uh, and I have tried to live my own way, and I just want to follow you. And so if that's where you're sitting today, now is a perfect opportunity to repent. To just, to just say, I want to turn my life. Repentance is nothing more than a turn of your life towards God. It's not an admittance of, I've got everything buttoned up and everything's together now. It's just saying, I need help, and I trust that that help comes from God. But then maybe you sit here today and you've never done that full uh, yielding. And, and yeah, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, but you haven't allowed it to live and embody in you and work through you so that your life is also a transformed life. Today's a great opportunity to do that. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing special about yielding. Like There's nothing special you have to do. All you have to do is say, God, I need your help. I trust that you've given me the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I want the Holy Spirit to work in my life. I say this all the time. None of this is complicated. It's not necessarily easy, but it's not complicated. It's what does God say, and we'll do what God says. We'll obey him, we'll trust him, we'll turn and surrender our lives to him.